course, to think about Lydia. The record of her conversion is found in Acts chapter 16. There are just a few verses there. But there's a lot to be said. Paul, in the earlier part of Acts 16, is making his way across in his second missionary journey. When they come to Troas, Paul has a vision. He sees a man standing from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so they go over to Philippi, and that's where they begin their work in Europe. They don't find a synagogue there, but they find a few women sitting out by the riverside praying to God. Following the Mosaical law, a part of Judaism, and that's where we're introduced to Lydia. Lydia, the name was very common, and we don't know whether she was a Jewess, but more than likely she was a Gentile who had been converted to Judaism, and she's being faithful to serving God under that religion. She doesn't know about Christ. And among the women that are mentioned, not many, Lydia's name is the only one that's given. So she was the first with her household, the first converts in Europe to Christianity from the preaching of Paul. Though some in Rome, perhaps were Christians before, as we read in Acts 2. But she was a businesswoman. She was a woman of leadership and devotion to God. And I think we can learn some things from her. First, we want to notice her religion was a deep-rooted principle. She's introduced as Lydia, one who worshiped God. Now, that expression is used to refer to Gentiles. The Jews worshiped God, but those who were not Jews were referred to as those who worshiped God. And that was Lydia. Judaism, worshiping under the Mosaic law. But her religion was more than just some uh, ritual performance. She was a woman of prayer. She took it with her, her religion from Thyatira. Tyre. I would imagine, since we're told she's from Thyatira, Tyre, that that's where she was converted to Judaism. There was, we're told, a synagogue in Thyatira. There was not a synagogue here in Philippi. So maybe that's where she learned about God in her hometown. When we turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul re- writes this to the Christians at Colossae. Rooted and builded up in him, that is in Christ, and established in your faith, even as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Paul gives us two pictures here. One is that they were rooted. That's the same idea that's used for a tree, which has its roots deep in the soil, drawing nourishment from it. That's the way Christians are. We're to be rooted in Christ. The second picture is one that they were built up. And this word is also used for a house that is erected on a strong and firm foundation. Jesus, to the Christian, is both the soil for rooting 
and the foundation. And that's where all Christians are to stand. But Lydia didn't know Jesus yet. So wherever we are, Jesus is to be the basis of our life. Lydia was different from Jonah, God's prophet. God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and preach to it. They need to change and repent. Well, you know, Jonah, he didn't want to go. He eventually got there. He tried, the Bible says, to flee from the presence of God. And you can't do that, can you? He learned you not to. What about Lydia? She knew God was in Philippi as well as in Thyatira. Some Christians relax when they go to a new city. They're not like Lydia. Another thing we notice here is a lack of a meeting place did not stop Lydia. No synagogue. So they went out to the river. This river is called, uh, I, I, I pronounce it, Gangites, G-A-N-G-I-T-E-S. It's about one mile west of the city of Philippi. And that's where they met. Now, let me mention this too. That just west of this river was a, a plain. And this plain is where um, we find Octavius, and Cassius fighting against Brutus and Cassius. They're determining what was going to be the role or the outcome of the Roman Empire, the Roman Republic. Well, of course, Cassius and his cohort Brutus died. Well, they lost the battle and they took their own life. This Octavius is known as Emperor Augustus. He was the emperor of Rome when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the first Roman emperor. Well, that was nearby, just west of the city. But here they were meeting on the riverbank because there was no synagogue. Now, what was true today was true then. They needed 10 Jewish men to be able to open up the synagogue. But Paul Rotenberry was uh, one of the teachers at the Harding Graduate School. He mentioned one day about when he was studying Hebrew under some Jewish rabbi. And they were together, and the rabbi said to Brother Rotenberry, would you excuse me a few minutes? I've got to go over to the synagogue. Unless there are 10 men, they can't meet. And I want to see if they get together. And then I'll come right on back. He didn't have to be there, evidently, if they got it going. So they didn't have a synagogue. They didn't have that many men. One reason why maybe they did not have that men, you remember when Claudius the king caused all of the Jews to leave, uh, to leave Rome? Well, it's thought that perhaps that applied not just in Rome, but also to the Roman colonies. And Philippi was a Roman colony. And maybe, that's speculation, that's why there weren't any Jewish men around in this Roman colony, but there were women. We think about Christians moving to a new area, and they may look very long, and they may look far to find a congregation, and when they don't find one, perhaps their conscience is eased, and they just don't worship God. 
Evidently, they never think about opening up their own home, their house, to worship. Many have done that. In fact, when we study the, the New Testament, we find that was the case. Paul addresses different ones and the, and the church that meets in their house. They didn't have buildings. The only one I can think of that may have been was in uh, Acts 20 at Troas. They were up on the third floor, but that still could have been someone's home. Because if they had a business, they would have that business operation on the first floor, living quarters above. But anyway, most of the time they met in one another's homes. But here, they went to the riverbank. Lydia gives us a good example. Lydia found a humble meeting place by a riverside. Someone has said that you should refuse to move to a city where there is no congregation unless you are a Lydian and start meeting together. Christian who is rooted and built up in Christ Jesus will manage to worship wherever they are. And she wasn't a Christian yet. We notice also about Lydia that her business, which seemed to have been very successful, did not keep her from worshiping. She was described as a seller of purple. That's a dye. And we're not told whether she just simply sold the dye or whether she dyed raiment and sold the raiment. But it was a successful business. We hear the idea of a royal purple color. Well, that comes from the idea that back in those days when purple was so expensive that only royalty could afford it. And so they've attached royal purple to that color, to that color or dye. It was costly, costly material. But the Sabbath day, Lydia refused to work. She closed her business down. While her competitors, if she had such, would be pagans and they'd keep their business operations going on the Sabbath. But not Lydia. God came first with her. Worship was her main duty. Following the Ten Commandments, Mosaic Law, we find in uh, Exodus 20, starting at verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath unto Jehovah thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, or the maidservant, or, the, or thy cattle, or the strangers which are in thy gates. Nobody was to work on the Sabbath, because that's under the Mosaic law. And we're all aware now that the Ten Commandment law was buried with the old covenant. Today we look to the new covenant, which has nine of these principles in the new covenant. But the Sabbath was not one of them. The Sabbath was the seventh day, and she observed that faithfully. <clears throat> she remembered Ecclesiastes 12 and 13, I'm sure. All had been said, this is the end of the matter. 
Worship God, keep his commandments. Fear God, keep his commandments. For this is a whole duty of man. We're to fear God, we're to reverence God, we're to obey God, keeping his commandments. And that's what Lydia sought to do. Also, Lydia did not quit because there were only a few. We've indicated no synagogue, no men as far as we can tell. It was only the women who came to the riverside. But they had sufficient space. Now, we understand that they, when they didn't have a synagogue, would come to a riverside or a place where there was water because they used water under the Mosaic law for ceremonial washings. So that might explain why they chose the riverside. But she did not quit. In Matthew 18 and 20, Jesus said that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, sometimes we look at that context and we say, well, now he's talking about binding and sowing. But I think those two expressions indicate he's talking also about meeting together, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of that gathering. Well, we don't know how many women there were there, but wherever Christians meet together, Jesus says, where there are two or three, you'll find me there in the midst. Fire. It started easier by a few coals being bunched together. And that's the way a number of congregations have started. God opened Lydia's heart. I think this is a very interesting statement we find in uh, Acts 16 and verse 14. I want to look at it a little bit with you. God, or the Lord, opened Lydia's heart. We don't find that found any other place describing conversions to Christ. But we cannot deny that he opened her heart because that's what it says. The Lord opened Lydia's heart. The question is, how? How did the Lord open her heart? Did he do something for her that he didn't do for somebody else? Well, that would make God a respecter of persons, would it not? And the Bible emphasizes he is no respecter of persons. So how did he open her heart without being a respecter of persons? Jesus tells us about an honest and good heart, Luke 8 and 15, and the parable of the sower. Evidently, Lydia had an honest and good heart. That is one who will hear the gospel. They'll hear the word of God. And they'll hold it fast. I mean, it doesn't go in one ear and out the other. They pay attention to it. They obey it. And then they bring forth fruit with patience, that is, with steadfastness. They hear the gospel. They obey the gospel. They live by the gospel. They bring forth fruit. That's what an honest and good heart will do. And evidently, Lydia had one of those kind of hearts. We know that the Lord's ears are open to such hearts. They were there praying to God. Not Christians yet, but they were praying. When we turn to 1 Peter 3 and verse 12, and this is a quotation from Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears under their supplication. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. 
that makes us think about Cornelius. Cornelius was not a child of God, but he was a man of prayer. In Acts 10, let's look at verse 2. He is described as devout. A man who feared God with all his house. Who gave much alms to the people. And he prayed always to God. Now that makes him sound like a good man. And evidently he was. He's described as such by the Holy Spirit. Devout. Well God sent an angel down to Cornelius. And he said, Cornelius, your prayers have come up as a memorial and your almsgiving. In other words, they've not gone unnoticed. Now the angel did not tell Cornelius what to do to be saved. But he said, you need to send a Joppa and fetch Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall speak unto thee words whereby thou shalt be saved thou and thy house. That's uh, Acts 11. Look at 13 and 14. And so Cornelius did that. And of course Peter came and preached to him. It was Peter's preaching of the gospel that brought salvation. He shall preach unto thee words whereby thou shalt be saved. And it wasn't done by an angel. It wasn't done by the Holy Spirit. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7? He says, this gospel which we preach is in earthen vessels. God has deposited his gospel, his power to salvation, in men. Paul said we preach that. And that's what we have here. God did not directly open her heart. Not directly. He did it, but indirectly. This is one of the passages that Calvinists use. This is one of their proof texts. They teach irresistible grace. They say that man is so depraved that he cannot read his Bible and understand it. He cannot hear someone preach the gospel and understand it. He's too depraved. Well, how did he get so depraved? Well, he inherited the guilt of Adam's sin, they say. The original sin. That's all false. That is not biblical. God opened her heart, but he did it indirectly. The problem was her heart was closed to a crucified Messiah, and that's the key. Her heart was closed and it had to be open. What was it closed to? The concept that the Messiah would come and die. They were looking for a, a victorious Messiah sitting on the throne of David, ruling in a political kingdom. Let me read a few verses with you. You may want to follow with me. To show that this was the concept that Jesus and the apostles had to face. In fact, the apostles themselves had this wrong idea about the Messiah having to die. Look at, uh, we'll start with Matthew 16, 22. And I'm going to have to look these up. Matthew 16, 22. Now, I think this is interesting. Jesus has just now begun to tell the apostles that he's going to be crucified. And on the third day, be raised from the dead. Nine months before it would take place. 
He's been teaching them for nearly three years, and now he's beginning to tell them because they had the wrong concept of the Messiah. And Peter tells us that exactly. After Jesus says that, notice what Peter does. Verse 22. And Peter took him, the Lord, and began to rebuke him. He's rebuking his Lord, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord. This shall never be unto thee. Now, what kind of a concept did the apostles have about the Messiah? Of being crucified? Of suffering? Being put to death? They didn't even understand. Also, the next place you want to look is in uh, 22, chapter 22 of Matthew. And uh, let's look at the start at verse 41 where it says that Jesus asked them a question. Now, they've been asking him a number of questions in chapter 22. Now, he's turning, turning it around. Jesus asked them a question saying, What think ye of the Christ? Whose son is he? And they say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in the Spirit, that is, by the Holy Spirit, Call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I put thine enemies under thy feet. Now, if David then called him Lord, how is he his son? They could not figure that out. And no one was able to answer him a word, neither does any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. They knew the Messiah was to be a descendant of David. A human being but the idea of him being deity that never entered their mind and that's why they couldn't answer it what did my Lord said unto my Lord the Lord said unto my Lord there's two Lords he's talking about the Father and the Son there's just one Lord Ephesians 4 and 5 but they're both referred to as the Lord Father and Son so here the Apostles didn't understand the crucifixion of the Messiah. Another passage, let's look at, uh, well, while we're talking about Paul, look over at Acts 26. Paul is preaching to Governor Festus and uh, to Herod Agrippa II while he's in prison there in Caesarea. And in his statement, he, he says this. Let me read uh, verse 22 and 23. Having therefore obtained the help that is from God, I stand unto this day testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses did say should come, how that the Christ must suffer, and how that he first by the resurrection of the dead should proclaim light both to the people and to the Gentiles. So there are two things that the Jews didn't understand. The Gentiles were to be converted as well and that Jesus was to suffer. And he mentions resurrection meaning die in his suffering. Back to uh, Acts 3, verse 17 and 18. This is a statement by Peter again. They understand now. And he and John have just uh, made the man who has been from birth some 40 years, unable to walk. 
And he has a, an audience now. And this is where he says, at least partially what he says. Acts 3, 17. And now, brethren, I know that in ignorance ye did it as did also thy rulers. Ignorance. But the things which God foreshowed by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. They've all said that. Now, Peter didn't say this, but I would say it. What have you been reading when you read the Old Testament? What have you been learning from the prophets? If you miss that, Jesus is to suffer and to die and to be raised from the dead. That's the Old Testament. They didn't, didn't understand that. Okay, let's now look at um, Acts 17, 2 and 3. Go back to Acts 16. Find that. <clears throat> and we know after he left Philippi, he went to uh, Thessalonica. Now notice in chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, we're told there that Paul did as was his custom. Two things. He went into the synagogue. He was talking to people who believed in God, accepted the Old Testament. That is all they understood about it. And also it was his custom to preach to them that Christ would suffer. And read the two verses. And Paul, as his custom was, went in unto them. And for three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, opening and alleging that it behooved the Christ to suffer and to rise again from the dead. And that this Jesus, whom, said he, I proclaim unto you, is the Christ. A couple of more examples. Okay. We'll look at Jesus now. Look at Luke 24, please. Jesus, this is, he's been raised from the dead. I think it's the first day, day of his resurrection. Obvious. And he finds two men, one of whom is called Cleopas, going to Emmaus, about seven miles uh, west of Jerusalem. And he joins himself and he asks them what's happening. And they said, We can't imagine why you wouldn't know what's happened. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, whom we thought was a prophet, has been crucified. We thought he was the one. But there have been some women who've gone to his grave and they couldn't find his body. And then some of our own, referring probably to Peter and John, also went there, couldn't find his body. And they were amazed, what, what's happened? Now this is how Jesus responds to these two. This is in verse 25. O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, behooved it not the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Now notice, verse 27. And beginning from Moses and from all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Well, he eventually identified himself to them, and then he went on to Jerusalem. And he entered into the place where the disciples were gathered, and he did the same thing for them. Still in, Acts, still in Luke 24, look at verse 44. And he said unto them, 
These are my words, which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must needs be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their mind that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance and so forth. So he's, he's going through the whole Old Testament scriptures pointing out where they point out. Here am I. This is talking about me. All the laws of Moses, all the prophets, the book of Psalms, the book of prophecy as well. And they're talking about me. That I was to suffer, but I was going to be raised from the dead. Now it says that the Lord opened their mind, not in a miraculous way, did it the same way he did with Lydia. Their minds were closed to the Messiah being uh, put to death. And they were the first converts to the gospel. He brought the gospel to them from his own lips. Doing her duty, that is Lydia, she blessed others. They worshipped together, her household with her. They assembled to worship at the riverside. She obeyed the gospel and her servants obeyed the gospel. Now, some people think, well, they were just servants. They were doing what they, you know, what they knew their employer, Lydia, did and would want them to do. Paul would not baptize somebody who did not have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. You say what you want. There might be people today who say, well, uh, our boss is a Christian. He's a member of such and such, and we better do what he's doing. But they might not do it sincerely. They were sincere. Paul would not have baptized a strong and beloved church was established in Philippi. We got into the study of that beginning this morning, our adult Bible class. And we're going to see how that church grew. We, we wonder why Lydia's name's not in there. We don't know. Maybe she died in the meantime after it was converted and Paul was later to write from prison. Maybe she moved on. She had come from Thyatira. Tyre. She was a businesswoman. We don't know why she's not mentioned. But a faithful church grew from her example. Now, what did Lydia do to be saved? Well, verse 15 says she was baptized. She did the same thing as everybody else has done since the day of Pentecost till today. Everybody that wants to go to heaven has done. She did that. That's what you and I need to do. She gave heed to the things spoken by Paul, and Paul always directed sinners to believe in Jesus Christ. Romans 10 and 10, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the lips man uh, confession is made unto salvation. He taught people they need to repent of their sins. When we turn over to Acts 17 and 30, also, let me turn back. To Acts 26, where he's preaching to Festus and Agrippa. And read verse uh, 20, if I can turn my page. I'll just read from verse 20. But declared both to them, Paul is telling what happened. But declared both to them of Damascus, after his conversion, went into the synagogue, began preaching. Both to them of Damascus, First, 
And at Jerusalem, after a three-year lapse, he went back to Jerusalem, preached the gospel there. And throughout all the country of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn again to God, doing works worthy of repentance. Paul preached that. That's one of the things that Lydia observed and obeyed. But she gave heed to the things spoken by Paul. And baptism. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Are you ignorant that all we who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him in baptism into his death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we also to walk in newness of life. When does this newness of life begin? Paul says after baptism, not before. Most people baptize a person who claims to have already been saved unscriptural. Like that baptism is no good. It's not acceptable to God. We walk in newness of life when we're raised from the waters of baptism. Not before. That's when we bury the old man and we're raised a new creature or a new person. And so this is what Lydia, she did what Paul had been preaching, and that's what you and I need to do. Have you obeyed all of the gospel? I'm sure you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you wouldn't be here. You recognize your life, and you need to make it like Christ's life, which was perfect. And we're all striving for that error. But if we've not truly repented of all of our works, we need to. Confess Christ before men and women and then be immersed, not sprinkled, immersed into Christ where he shed his blood in his death that all of our sins will be wiped away. And like Lydia and the others who obeyed the gospel and everyone since the first century will have the hope and the promise of eternal life. If you're not ready for Christ to come or you go and meet him. Can we help you this morning to respond to the gospel invitation and complete your obedience as together as we stand and sing?